another one bites the dust. <laughs> Big week. Yeah, so this past weekend was a very eventful weekend. We went to Turning Stone, right, Ben? Lost $700 in poker. Standard. Very eventful weekend, but that wasn't even the craziest part. What was? Craziest part was a prominent fantasy football figure on Twitter ended up getting canceled i guess i guess we're canceling randoms now not really a rant i guess i shouldn't say random but canceling people that aren't like famous by any stretch i mean maybe they're famous in the fantasy community but you know that's that's neither here nor there yeah so somebody ended up getting canceled classic old tweets getting resurfaced type joint you know you've seen it all before talk talk of the twitter a lot of creators you know condemned what this individual said i guess me bringing this up and what i want to get at is when you're on social media on twitter on facebook instagram and you're in this specific space for us fantasy twitter a lot of these people aren't really who they claim to be Mm. And I guess that's just kind of like my biggest point and what I want people to take away from that whole situation. And I'm assuming if you're listening to us, you might know what we're talking about, but you also might not just, you know, if you don't really pay attention, you know, we're, we're in it. So we do pay attention, but people are not who they claim to be. Like a lot of people were shocked when they saw the tweets and I'm like, I'm not shocked at all. People act a certain way to get followers, to get more fame to get Mm -hmm. more clout it's just what people do you know i'm not like that personally i don't know if you're like that i don't think you are i'm not we're never we're never gonna do that but a lot of the people in the fantasy industry will do that and are like that and they get in those clicks where it's all a bunch of these same type of people the same type of people we're all fake friends we all love each other let's all support each other's content until the second something goes wrong and then you're ghosted you're gone you never existed It's absolutely insane. Exactly. Because if one of my friends made a mistake, I'm just not going to ghost them. You know, I think that's fake. Like you said, that's the perfect description is just being fake. And that's pretty much what happened is, you know, that everybody, they just went about their business, maybe unfollowed this individual, didn't really say anything, went quiet, ghosted. It's just all a bunch of drama, a bunch of bullshit. Sometimes silence can be like the loudest message you deliver. And, and I just find it interesting to see people who constantly pump out support of somebody over an extended period of time over months every single day multiple interactions retweets littering your timeline with somebody's content and then nothing no comment when when things hit the fan so it's just it's an act like you said all this buddy buddy you know clicked up shit it's just it's just for clicks it's just a yeah for clicks and to benefit themselves nobody will say that though nobody will admit that and you know maybe they are friends i don't know maybe we're just assuming and thinking the worst of people because maybe they are truly great people and they just want to you know support their friends i think a majority of people that are trying to make a name for themselves are just doing it for the sole purpose of self-gain you know Mm. to to boost their own careers and boost their articles and and get their engagement up on twitter and and get followers that's just what i think maybe i'm wrong you could disagree with me like i said maybe we're being pessimistic but i I think that's the case for a majority of aspiring creators in in the industry is to get into those clicks to further their own career i think i can safely say that that will never be us and we've actually got an interview with somebody who takes no part in these games joey let's get right into it 
What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 158 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we've got a guest, okay? A man whose accomplishments and impact has not only been great within the fantasy football space, but stretched beyond it as well, right? His work with gender labs, researching optimal thrust angles has changed lives, all right? His research into the PSM, has altered predictive sports analytics forever. All right, they'll never be the same. The author of one of the most pivotal pieces of American literature, nay, American culture, in the last 10 years, Skin to Fur. Yes, today we are joined by none other than the founder of Establish the Run, the DFS NFL cash game god himself, Adam Levitan. Adam, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Very nice intro, important intro. Thank you for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. You know, listen, Adam, I, I think I speak for both Joey and myself when I say mm-hmm. that getting you on an episode of the podcast was something we both aspired to make happen when we first started this thing three years ago, entering our fourth season covering NFL DFS. And that time has finally come. Yeah. I, I, well, I was impressed with the, with the way you guys backed me into back <laughs> uh, coming on. It was sharp. So yeah. That Thank was you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So just a quick summary for all of the listeners out there that might not be too familiar with how this happened and came to be. So one day I was just scrolling through my Twitter timeline and I see Ben, he tweeted something and it got a lot of engagement. And the exact tweet was, if you think Golden Tate over Darius, Godius Slayton is sharp. I have to assume you're also taking Randall Cobb over Will Fuller. Same logic. So Ben and I were big <laughs> Darius Slayton truthers last season, you know, mm-hmm. didn't really work out too well. And I thought it was just a great tweet. And then in the thread, someone tagged Evan Silva, who then tagged Adam, who then offered a wager to Ben. Right. And, and I, you know, I slid in there. I was like, all right, follow so I can DM you. And once I got the follow mission was accomplished. Like I wasn't even worried about the wager anymore. It was like, we got it. All right. But then I, then I, you know, I was on the spot. I'm like, oh shit, I actually have to come up with a wager right now. Thought I was in the clear, especially, you know, we, we ended up on, I think two, $250 for Darius Slayton versus Sterling Shepard and fantasy points. Uh, and, and I thought I was just, you know, a stone lock to win that when Sterling Shepard got hurt. And then the second half, you know, Sterling just keeps coming back and it went all the way down to week 17 and, and Sterling Shepard took it. Adam was generous enough to still come on the podcast for went his prize money, gave it to charity, just absolutely stand-up guy and thank you for coming up on the show uh despite winning the bet well and also Darius Slayton played four more games than Sterling Shepard he you did that, you conveniently left that yeah. part out <laughs> that, that Shepard played uh, uh four fewer games and still outscored him so yeah I mean it was it was it was just a brutal run out for Darius Slayton to end the year Ben and myself we go over to our boys house like every Sunday to watch the games and we're just sitting there on our phones week 17 just looking at Darius Slayton and <laughs> Sterling Shepard stat lines like come on Darius you got to pull through for us and then he ended up uh, falling flat so just a brutal run out for Darius Slayton but I attribute most of that to uh terrible quarterback play from Daniel Jones. So yeah, Ster- Sterling had that too, but yeah, I feel you. Um, <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> all right, l- let's get right into it. Don't want to waste the man's time. Adam, I want to start by asking your opinion sort of on the current landscape of fantasy football Twitter. And really I'm, I'm mostly curious if you're even aware of like what's going on on quote unquote, like regular fantasy Twitter, because from our perspective, you know, fantasy Twitter is like 
maybe, maybe 25% like good actionable information and takes 75% of it's just weird, clicky circle jerk drama, just weird stuff going on on the Twitter timeline these days. So do you see that same sort of stuff? Or are you just like in your ivory tower chilling with Jerry, just above it all unaware, unbothered? Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I don't really play a lot of season long and, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I talk about season long a lot now. And I think that, you know, uh, that I can help people in season long, but I don't personally play a lot of season long and I definitely don't play any dynasty. And I feel like a lot of like fantasy Twitter is these like dynasty people that are like completely out of their minds. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't really follow or, or look at anything for Twitter except for information. You know, I'm not here to really hang out and make friends and have conversations and get into arguments. And I, I'm here to get bets. That's for sure. Like if people want to want to say stuff and and then they're willing to bet, like I'm always willing to bet on anything pretty much. So, so I don't, I, I, I always viewed Twitter as just straight information. That's what I try to give to people is just straight information and, and nothing else. And, and I think that's personally for me, at least the best way to use Twitter, I, you know, again, like out here, drama, arguing, making friends, like, that's not Twitter for me. I'm right there with you. I feel the exact same way. It's just kind of hard because especially when you're new into the fantasy industry, some people might feel like obliged to try and get into one of those clicks to help further their careers. And I guess that leads to my question about just the overall oversaturation of fantasy football content in its current state. And you know, what advice would you give to people who are new to the fantasy space and are trying to carve out a role with all these established creators making very similar content. Yeah. And it's a good point. I mean, it's easy for me to say, right? Like I was talking about fantasy football in on Twitter in 2009. Right. So like, obviously like there is a snowball effect to where, you know, if I started today, uh, I don't think that my Twitter would be nearly as popular as it is because I started in 2009 and, and it just kind of snowballs from there. But I still think that like if you're giving actual information that can help people, actionable mm-hmm. information that can help people, not, you know, takes and opinions like actual information, then I think people will find you and appreciate it for sure. But yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. It's 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 hard to find your own yeah. niche. I think that like the smaller niche that you can be in the better. So like Matt Harmon is a good example. You know, when I, I first heard of Matt Harmon, he might've had like 10,000 followers. And and if he would have just been stuck to, you know, broad-based fantasy stuff, he might not have gotten up to whatever he has now, but he got very, very niche, not just on fantasy football, not just on offense, not just on DFS. He got into how will NFL wide receivers perform and, mm-hmm. and what's predictive with that and using actual data and not opinions. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the further you can drill it down, if you would, if somebody told me that you guys were the best at predicting how long MMA matches would go, I would, I would follow you, you know, but like, if you're going to be the hundredth guy to tell me that, you know, uh, Will Fuller's injury prone or whatever, like I'm not, I'm not following, you know. Adam, uh, establish the run. You launched the company in 2019, correct? So you're you're entering the third season of covering the NFL. I wanted to ask, you know, was it ever a difficult choice for you to sort of leave like the safety of DraftKings? You know, you kind of got to that point where you were you were doing it, right? You were do- living the dream, talking about fantasy, working for an established company, getting paid. You know, was there ever sort of a second thought when you chose to take on the risk of leaving that to start your own business? Yeah, I, I didn't think for me personally, there was a lot of risk or for Evan, really, there, there wasn't much risk. If, if Establishment Run didn't work out, like we could always go back to DraftKings mm. or one of the other companies or NBC or whatever. Like, I, I think we would have been able to go back, you know, it, w- it would have been 
it would have sucked for sure, but we always could have go, gone back. So I don't think that it was really much of a risk. And yeah, I mean, you know, in today's media landscape, you don't need a third party if you have an audience. And, you know, it, it's it's hard to get an audience for sure. But if you do have one and have, you know, a thousand people that follow you, you know, there's that thousand true fans, which is a really, I think, true thing that people should look up. But yeah, if you have that, you know, there's there's not a lot of risk. You don't need somebody to host your content anymore in today's mm -hmm. landscape. I mean, I'm sure I don't know what we're on now, YouTube or whatever, or podcast or, or mm -hmm. writing or on work. WordPress or whatever, like you can go direct to consumer so, so, so easily now. And, and so, yeah, the, the landscape has changed for sure. And, and the, the hard part is getting an audience The the difficult part is not, is not, you know, um, conveying it to them. So when, when you made that decision, you and Evan to, to go out on your own and, and start this company, was there like a set goal for you that you wanted to accomplish? You know, was it, you know, make X amount of money, you know, grow the company to be a, a certain size or, or just to independently own uh your your company and your content yeah we didn't we didn't know i mean it was this was brand new you know i know a lot of people since then have kind of gone off and started their own thing we didn't really have anything to go on uh with what we should expect at all and you know we we talked forever about price point and different packages and what we should be selling and what we shouldn't be selling and so yeah it was it was it was hard we just you know tried not to worry about the result just like you would in dfs you know you can't worry about the result we just made what we thought were the best decisions and let the chips fall where they may and and have to give on the business stuff have to give a big shout out to taylor kb who who mm -hmm. um you know i knew from poker and and just been incredible on the business side helping us with everything behind the scenes you don't realize like until you do it how many mm -hmm. business decisions there are like every day like five six decisions a day literally about about the business interesting um just stepping really quick outside of like fantasy and establish the run the psm okay this is something that you've talked about a lot on your podcast you know i'm i'm well versed in it but could you maybe just give our listeners who might be unfamiliar just a general premise of what the psm is <laughs> yeah so yeah we have the various models that at established mm -hmm. the room we have the age model single input you know there's only one factor that goes into it how old you are and much like that the psm has one input as well and it's just how big your penis is and that's it and so mm -hmm. you get guys like you know very clearly guys like uh, javion hawkins was never going to make it in the nfl but dk metcalf has a chance to be the wide receiver one in fantasy this season and it all stems back to the psm same with donald parham and, and stuff like that and so right I, honestly like i the whole like argument over athleticism like like there were weeks i i couldn't remember what week it was when this this psm hit me it might have been like i don't remember who i played like some dust ball over like dk metcalf or some or somebody like that <laughs> and i was just looking back i just couldn't believe it just from an athleticism standpoint and so i, I might have been last year or the year before but there was one episode of the podcast where it just hit me and i was like god i can't believe i did that i need to start using the psm now, I wanted to ask you if has there ever been work done, you know, on the PSM model to be used predictively like outside of football? Like I'm wondering if there's any correlation perhaps between like the size and girth of DFS touts and maybe their end of year <laughs> ROI. Like I'm trying to figure out why my ROI was so low last year. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I, I we haven't <laughs> tested that. We could get our lab rats in Singapore on that. We don't we don't know. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> so 2021 we've seen an explosion in the best ball scene and i'm assuming that the explosion of best ball has been very beneficial to establish run and a lot of other companies like a lot of people are invested in this new you know way to play fantasy football i wanted to ask are you just being a straight dgen like ben and myself 
just drafting every single day on underdog or wherever you draft are you like us and you just continuously hammer out drafts or or are you on team smell the roses now that you moved out to the west coast and you're not on the east coast anymore yeah so i don't really do any live drafts because like i they take like an hour or whatever and like yeah. Uh, honestly, like I just don't have an hour to sit there and draft most most days. I think that my ROI in, you know, a $25 best ball, if you're playing well, might be 10 or 20%. And so then you're talking about like $2.50 an hour or $5 an hour. Like obviously anything else I'm doing uh, is better than that. I play some of the slow drafts, some of the higher stakes slow draft stuff, the the 555 on DraftKings and the and the big dog on on underdog, uh, but I do them slow drafts, and they're not they're they're tougher. I mean, the slow drafts are tougher because people have more time to prepare and think yeah. about their pick, and nobody panics and everything, and so mm-hmm. um, they're tougher for sure. But I, I actually love best ball. I mean, I, I hate doing waivers and trades and setting lineups. I mean, best parts drafting, and so I, I, underdog obviously has been amazing for the industry, and and yeah, I, I absolutely love best ball. I, if I um, had some job where I was just like sitting around bored all day, I would fire off a. A ton of drafts for sure. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, like the transition to being a business owner and the decisions that you have to make on a daily basis. I guess I'm wondering if there's ever been sort of a struggle for you as like a player versus being a business owner. You talked about in Skindifer, one of the things that was most important is a soft skill in DFS. And I assume that that translates uh, to best ball as well, that our top priority in most game selection situations should be finding the weakest opponents. And then, you know, as a business owner, somebody who, you know, established the run and underdog have a partnership, that would be counterintuitive because the sharpest drafters, the sharpest competition Mm -hmm. is on underdog. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, where you have found yourself because of business. So does that ever, you know, come across as contradictory for you or, you know, how do you adapt to that as both a player and a business owner? Yeah. I just always try to be honest people with honest with people. If they ask me if underdog's tough, I say, yeah, man, the underdogs, <laughs> underdog is tough, man. It's tough for sure, but they have the best platform. There's no doubt about that. And so mm-hmm. people are on there because, uh, it has the best UI. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were going for the softest games, I don't even think it's DraftKings. I don't know. It's probably some like off brand site, but you're not gonna be able to play as big. And yeah, I mean, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but yeah, I think it, like the thing that, you know, people connect with me, I, I, I try to just always be honest with them, you know, like, uh, so yeah, I, I, it's the games on underdog are tough. That doesn't mean that we can't beat them. Mm-hmm. I think we could probably beat them for a lower ROI, but everybody's just trying to turn five into a million anyway. So who cares how tough it is? You just got to get, <laughs> get lucky and turn five into a million anyways, or whatever it is, five into 250,000 or whatever yeah. this thing it is. Yeah. It's getting bigger every time they drop a new puppy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, best ball is just huge. Now there's multiple other platforms. I definitely do agree that underdog is the best and they clear cut have the best UI. But I think if you're playing on a site like drafters or Yahoo DraftKings, you're going to have, you know, a better ROI and a better edge on those platforms. So I know Ben and myself, we gander over there quite a bit. Um, and we also play on underdog a lot, but I think for the listeners out there, um, if you're not in a business or anything you should be playing on these other sites for sure yeah definitely transitioning from best ball to dfs you know the nfl season is starting in three weeks or so we'll have our first main slate 
of 2021. I can't wait. I'm so excited. But my mm -hmm. question for you, Adam, is about fantasy in general. Will it become less popular or has, has it plateaued as sports betting becomes increasingly available across the United States? Ben and myself, we live in New York, which they did legalize online gambling, but we still don't have the sports books like the physical sports book apps yet. So it's kind of tough for us, but states across the country are legalizing it. DFS is harder than sports betting, in my opinion, especially for casual fans who aren't grinding DFS every day, like mm -hmm. us three. Uh, so you think that DFS has plateaued and fantasy football in general has has plateaued or do you see it increasing over the next five years uh not fantasy football i mean fantasy football is like so social and fun and people play mm -hmm. with their boys and they connect and and it's it's there's no way it's plateaued in fact i, I would argue that it's probably going to keep growing uh dfs you can make a case that people churn out because it's extremely competitive and it's hard to win you know mm -hmm. people churn out and so you could say hey maybe it's plateaued i don't think that things like the millie maker uh on DraftKings have or will plateau i, I mean yeah, everybody just i mean people this is what people live for you know try to turn 20 into a million playing fantasy football um could you say that you know playing the 535 double up or whatever uh isn't gonna keep growing yeah i could probably buy that I think it's people are going to churn out and there's not enough new people interested in playing that big uh, to uh, to fill it. So yeah, maybe in that case, but overall, I think DFS is going to be fine, man. It's just NFL DFS is definitely going to be fine. It's just, it's just so fun. And, and there's so much randomness and variance that, uh, you know, everybody, I think over the course of a year is going to have some kind of sweat uh, as long as they're like game selecting, at least reasonably, they'll have like mm -hmm. some kind of sweat and, and that'll keep people coming back. And so, yeah, you know, I I, I definitely think that sportsbook lines are so efficient that people are going to win around 50% of their sports bets. And they're going to feel like they're winning more just because of like cognitive bias. And so they're going to think that it's easier and and they're winning more. And and yeah, you know, some people do that, but is what it is. I, I think NFL DFS will be fine. Interesting. Let's transition to a, a couple of questions. I actually reread the great piece of American literature skin to fur this last week, just to look for a couple of key points to bring up here. And one of them that really stuck out to me was uh, on a passage that you wrote about NFL DFS cash games. And your quote was that your cash lineups are built to finish in the top 30% of contests and are mostly based around median projections. They eschew volatility in favor of consistency and lean towards a high floor rather than a ceiling. And I wanted to ask that the way that cash games and DFS in general have sort of evolved in the last two years since you published the book, is that still the case for you in the way that you construct your cash lineups? Yeah, I think that's the the base of it. But when things are close, when decisions are close, I'm willing to take on more volatility for sure, especially if you're playing a lot of head-to-heads, you know, mm -hmm. I'm trying to win, you know, 70, 80, 90% of my head-to-heads. Well, you know, there's a big difference between winning 51% of head-to-heads or 90% of head-to-heads versus in double ups where you get zero for finishing in 50th percentile. So, and nothing more for finishing 99th. So yeah, I think embracing some volatility, even in cash, I think is good, but only when it's close. And so I'm particularly thinking about wide receiver position and tight end position. And typically at running back, it's, it should be very clear at least who the mm -hmm. running back plays are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. That, that does make sense. All right. Question number two, you have a whole chapter 
in the book about germs. And I guess the first thing I want to ask is, you know, do you so like feel vindicated in your general assessment that people are, are like dirty, filthy spreaders? Because over the past year and a half, we've kind of uh, seen that come to fruition. <laughs> you were on that early. Yeah, I know. You know, it was, it was kind of a joke. Like I am a bit of a germaphobe or I was a bit of a germaphobe, but I, I took it to the extreme in the book and on the podcast. It really wasn't that bad. You know, I wasn't like actually needed to like seek therapy or anything like that. <laughs> I know some people who like literally like can't stop washing their hands and stuff like that. And that that wasn't me. I just thought it was like, like I thought sharing deodorant was really gross. And I thought like sharing a beer with someone, like them putting their mouth on over and then me putting my mouth on, it was, was gross for sure. Like I thought that was gross. But now that everybody feels that way, like I've kind of gone the other way where I think people have gone, you know, too far and are too afraid to, oh, too afraid of germs. And so, Mm. Yeah, I, it's 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 uh, I would if, if everybody's practicing the the bits that I was doing, we would have all been in a much better place <laughs> through this pandemic. But now it's gone. It's gone too far. I think I'm afraid that like our kids and my kids are going to grow up like so petrified of being around other people and germs and stuff that it's going to it's going to really set them on a bad path. And really, I was just joking. So let me ask you this. This uh, this quote just stood out to me like crazy when I read the book from Adam Levitan himself. Quote, I trust our government, our health departments and our doctors. I feel like they've tested this stuff on mice. They've run the Sims. They put the data through the solver. I trust that they did the work, but honestly, I should probably do more research on it myself. I, I just imagined like you tweeting that same thing out today with no context and like getting retweeted by Cole Beasley or something what? like that. <laughs> what, what, what was the what was the context? I don't even know what I was talking about. And it was in the context of uh, trusting doctors, and, and I think it was a listener question talking about um, you know, should you get yearly checkups? Oh yeah, I, I I don't know exactly what I was talking about there. I, if it, I, I like, I mean, these doctors like they spend twenty, thirty years of their life like learning about something, and so there's good and bad people in every profession, politics, you know, medicine, whatever. If you find one that you think is good, like I would never say, oh well, actually, I think X Y Z. Like, what what do I know about that? So I gen generally think try to trust experts, you know, people who have dedicated mm -hmm. their entire life to something. And I think it's, it's typically worth, worth trusting them. But, you know, that said, there's good and bad people in in every, in every industry, no matter, no matter what, you know, so you definitely need to DYOR, do your own research. Absolutely. All right. The, the third and final point I want to cover while we're in the skin to first section here is something that you talked about and that we talk about often and debate about often, and that's uh, time versus money. And, you know, you've you've talked about it a lot on your podcast uh, on Establish the Run and even on the podcast before that, um, that, you know, you value your time above all else and you're willing to pay people to do menial tasks rather than than do it yourself. My first question is, like, at what age did you come to that realization? Have you always been that way? Um, you know, it's hard when you, when you don't have money uh, to you have to do it yourself. I had, you know, I was lucky to find poker before the moneymaker boom. And so, you know. Once the moneymaker boom hit, I was able to get some money then. But I mean, it's not a great way to live to like think about everything through an hourly. You know what I mean? Like there's there's some, I think, uh, other benefits to mowing your own lawn or, or doing your own laundry and stuff like that. But, you know, I can't help it. You know, I'm just like disturbed. And so <laughs> if I start to think, you know, oh, someone will mow my lawn for $30, like is my hourly doing something else better than $30 an hour. I mean, almost undoubtedly. Right. And so, uh, and the other thing is like, you realize like, you know, I, I'm married. I have, I have two kids. I'm going to be 40 soon. Like I could die literally any day. And so it, would I rather have died spending that hour, you know, with my kids or whatever, doing something fun or, 
you know, mowing the lawn. And so, you know, I, I, it's, it's, I don't think it's a great way to live, to think like that all the time, but I I just, I, uh, I kind of can't help it. And so I, I, at this point, I'm always willing to trade, uh, money for time because I feel like I can always get more money and, and I can't buy more time. You know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I literally, I, I'm at the, I'm really at the age now where like, if I died at any time, it it wouldn't even be that sad. I'm just like, so, so old, you know? So, so it's, it's, it's really, it's almost time. So that's just the way it is. Joey, do you have a, do you have a counterpoint? Because I mean, Adam, basically word for word, that's what I said the last time we talked about this, you know, time is finite. You don't know how much of it you have. There's always a, a way to get more money. Yeah, no, time is definitely the most valuable thing on this earth, right? Cause we're all, we all were born. We're all going to die one day. That's just a fact of life. And so time is finite. Like you said, definitely very, very valuable, but our argument, and I, I want to hear Adam's opinion on it was about food delivery services. All right. Are you going to sit at home and order through Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats rather than go and pick the food up yourself? That was Ben and mine's argument. And I was on the side of, I'd rather just go pick up the food because at least that's me getting something that I need to survive. You know, that's yeah. not me hanging out with my kids or, or whatnot. It says, I need food. We need food to survive. I would rather much just go get it myself rather than have somebody bring it to me. Right. But um, you're the food is arriving, right? Like, it's not but, like if you don't go get it, you're going to be sitting at home hungry. Like someone's still bringing you the food. You're going to get your noodles. Like it's all good. There's, it's there's just, just like too, an extra five bucks. There's just that. too many drawbacks. Yeah. Grubhub, DoorDash, they hike up their prices on the yeah. app specifically. Then you have to pay the delivery fee. Then mm-hmm. you have to tip if you're not a scumbag. And then you have to wait for the driver and put your food in the hands of a random person. Mm-hmm. Mm. It comes That's... boxed, but yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I, I would say it depends what you were going to do with that time. Like if I, if I'm not doing anything, I, I would agree with you. I probably prefer to get some air and pick it up, but you know, yeah. I just, I always have something to do. So I almost always just order it. And, and yeah. I agree. The prices are absolutely outrageous, like outrageous, probably like two X versus, versus picking it up versus, versus delivering. But if I, if there's something that I think is, is worthwhile and, and then I'll, I'll use the app. No. Yeah. That definitely makes sense. Especially if you're doing something you know, to help further your career or business, but not if you're at home on your computer playing Warzone like Ben. Like, right. just go get the food. That's know? a totally different. Story. <laughs> can't, can't can't be doing that. Can't be doing that. I'm chilling at home. All right, look, we're we're about thirty minutes in. We haven't spoken a single word about actual fantasy football, um, and that's okay with me. But we should at least close out the show with you know rapid fire questions. I'm going to put a little alarm on my phone. However many of these we can get through in three minutes, we'll get through. Adam, we're just looking for quick answers. All right, we we just want one sentence, one one word, a couple of short fantasy questions before we get you out of here. Cool. All right, Joey, do you want to kick it off here? Yep. Go ahead. My first question: What stack, in your opinion, wins Best Ball Mania two? Name a stack. Uh, One stack. I will go with... God. Rapid fire. Put him on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a hard one for rapid fire. I I think one of the top four quarterbacks... I I think Josh Allen and Diggs is is really hard to fail. That's probably one of the chalk ones. Got some good bringbacks with Arizona in Week 17. Joey, another question? Biggest fade in the first three rounds of fantasy. Probably Alvin Kamara for me, but mm. I think he'll, I think if Jameis, and it looks like Jameis is going to win now, so maybe that'll end up looking bad. I would take him like fifth or sixth, but he always goes like third or fourth. Yeah, Ben and my uh, myself's biggest fade is Travis Kelsey and J.K. Dobbins in the third round. Yeah, Just- yeah. 
J.K. Dobbins, Which, I just got J.K. Dobbins in one of those DK 555s at like literally the end of the fourth round. Like people are off J.K. Dobbins for sure. Do you think that J.K. Dobbins is just an overpriced Zach Moss? I think that's going a little bit too far. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about the pass heaviest team in the league versus the run heaviest team in the league. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right. Last season, James Robinson, this is topical, averaged 17.1 attempts uh, and 4.2 targets per game. Do you expect similar opportunity for him this season in light of Travis Etienne likely being out the entire season? Yeah, I don't think they have much of a choice. I mean, Carlos Hyde at this point, I don't think it can be much of a contributor beyond maybe five, six between the tackles carries a game. And so it sucks. You know, I haven't taken any James Robinson, but what a life to have James Robinson and then have Etienne go down. Yeah, that's pain. Higher ceiling in half PPR, James Robinson or Daryl Henderson? No, Daryl Henderson. Come on. Henderson. <laughs> all right. Kyle Pitts, highest drafted tight end of all time. 6'6", behemoth, godlike measurables, just an absolute beast. Clear-cut number two option in Atlanta. 4,300 on DraftKings in week one. Are you playing them? Let's, <laughs> let's, let's, get, let's get a player take here for DraftKings Draft week one. I honestly haven't even looked at the salaries at all yet. That that certainly sounds good. I'm sure that there's going to be like some 2,500 like Juwan Johnson or something like that, right? That like, yeah, like there's going to be other options. But stone punt. Yeah, Pitts, Pitts sounds good, but you might not even need a stone punt because it's going to be so soft in week one anyway. Yep. So Pitts probably would, would, would make sense at 4,300, but I haven't even looked yet, you know. Uh, What skill position player outside of Stefan Diggs finishes with the most PPR points in 2021 on the Bills? Uh, I'll say Cole Beasley fights through the COVID thing and still <laughs> emerges as the the second best. Yeah, um, after his recent song where he explained how heavy his nuts were, I think that's a pretty good bet. <laughs> that's a pretty good bet. All right, we'll close it out here. Two final questions and we'll get you out. One, does Darius Slayton outscore Kadarius Tony in 2021? Are we running it back? Can he do it? Can Godius do yeah, it? Yeah, you know, this Kadarius Tony thing, I don't I don't know what's going on. At this point, it sounds like he's not even gonna like be on the field for the first part of the season. That's gonna make it hard for him to outscore Slayton. I do think draft capital matters so much. Like people mm-hmm. always underestimate draft capital. Like they the Giants are so incentivized to have Kadarius Tony look good so they can save face. That's not something that I would bet, but I would call it close to 50-50 right now. All right. And the final question, and this is a question I I don't know if I've heard anybody ask you for, and I think a lot of people probably want to know, will there ever be a sequel to Skin to Fur or or potentially like a paperback release with some extra chapters or like uh, some NFT form of something? (laughs) Like, are we going to get an addition to Skin to Fur, the series? Yeah, it was such a pain to do. And I didn't even really like write that much because a lot of it was from old podcasts where I just kind of edited and turned it around into written form but i don't think so man i I think that having i mean first of all i made no money like it wasn't for the money like i made literally like no money on it um but i I do think it's good for branding and like almost like a business card the problem is that like the book is like kind of a joke so it's hard for me to like (laughs) use it as a business card you know so but i do think like for bales and stuff like he has books that are actually like well respected and well known and and he can be like oh you know, Google me and, and you find my book, which is actually legit. Like, I think that's worthwhile. But yeah, I, I don't think that more jokes is really worthwhile. 
Mm, I feel you. Yeah, I tried to explain the concept of skin to fur to my girlfriend the other day. She just blank stare. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> my, my girl's the same way. Like, I'll talk to her about like DFS stuff and you know stuff that goes on, and she's like, "Dude, I don't care." Like, <laughs> she's like, "What?" I've I shit you not. I've listened to when you were on the DFS Edge, like listener questions. Like, I've played it for because I, I just think you gave some it's golden romantic. takes, golden takes when you would do the the solo pod for the dfs edge and i would play it and she'd be like what is this dude talking about like, <laughs> and i'd be like i'll be like you gotta listen to what he's saying because he's saying facts but she'd be like dude i don't care 20 25 year old women not the demo i don't think for the, no for the it's not the demo. I, I, it's not it's really not <laughs> All right, man. Adam, thank you so much for coming yeah, on the podcast. We, we really appreciate it. I'm sure that anybody listening to this already knows, but do you have anything that you want to plug or, or tell people where they can find your stuff? No, just if you're following me on Twitter at Adam Levitan. And, and if you're not on Twitter, you're probably not trying hard enough in fantasy football because mm-hmm. really that is where all the all the best information is. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. All right. That's dope. Listen, thank you guys. That's going to be it for episode 158 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters at Ben Hover and at Joey Carey and DFS. Of course, like Adam said, you can find him at Adam Levitan and support his content on EstablishTheRun.com. For us, new episodes of the podcast drop every Thursday on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and every other podcast platform. We drop content all week, every week on YouTube at the DFS Dose. If you're listening out there thank you we appreciate you we value you till next time let's stay accountable and keep it authentic vibes